Welcome to episode two of Speaking Up. This is a podcast about people standing up for truth, stepping up on the issues of the day, and speaking up when it matters most. I'm your host, Miles Taylor. I'm very excited to be hosting this on Colin, a social podcasting app that allows us to take questions from listeners, which we will do today. We have a very special guest. I am thrilled to welcome my friend, Joe Walsh. And whether he realizes it or not, we have a good deal in common. We are both Midwesterners from the Chicagoland area. We both had uh, careers to a certain uh, extent in radio. We both worked in Congress, me as a little plebe, he as a member of Congress. (laughs) Uh, I am not a former presidential candidate like he is, but most importantly, we are both huge fans of Donald Trump. Joe. (laughs) Hey, Miles, you could run for president if you wanted, my friend. You know, I threatened it uh, on Twitter as a joke. I was at a dinner party and someone was like, you know, you should tweet out. You're going to challenge Trump if no one does. I did. And oh, man, the the MAGA people just loved it. Oh, yeah. They just melted down. The mockery was uh, it was intense. It kind of made me want to do it. <laughs> hey, good to be with you, brother. Good to, good to have you here, uh, Joe. Before we dive in, I mean, today I really wanted to talk about threats to democracy um, at home. But it's, it's really tough to have that conversation without focusing on these intense threats to democracy we're seeing overseas at the moment, namely uh, in Ukraine. Now, you know, some people are out there and, you know, uh, the public saying it doesn't really matter. The, the fight's not relevant to the United States. I, I want to ask you, you've been very vocal on this. Why does what happens in Ukraine matter for American democracy? You know, Miles, because if we don't help defend a burgeoning democracy there, uh, and if we don't defend a friend and an ally who's had their country, their sovereign nation invaded, then I don't know what we stand for. And the evil that Putin is will just continue to get closer to us. I don't know where you stand. I know you, you and I are pretty aligned on this. I'm uh, Adam Kinzinger is my good, good friend and former colleague. Uh, I'm not advocating we send American troops over there. The notion of a no-fly zone scares me. But I think Biden's done a great job of trying to bring Putin to his knees economically, and we should be giving Ukraine every weapon they need. Well, so th- that's... A good question is, how has the Biden administration been doing? You've given them pretty high marks so far. What else do you think we should do? And and that question of no-fly zone is very contentious. It's kind of, you know, do we push further into the fight or do we merely enable them to police their own territory from the air? I mean, is that something that you think is an, an acceptable middle ground is to say, let's make sure that they can defend their airspace? I, I'm uh, I, I'm not on board with Adam and others on a no-fly zone yet. Here, in the back of my mind, Miles, I keep thinking this, and I'll watch my language. Putin really screwed up. He miscalculated. He he did not believe that the freedom-loving world would ally and unify like they have. He wanted to he wanted to own Kiev within three days. Here we are, ten, eleven days later. Uh, I don't believe, I think Putin screwed up. I don't believe this war is going as he anticipated. I think it's a race against time because his economy right now is is cratering. 
and, and I wouldn't let up the pressure at all. I'd, I'd pile on more sanctions again, I, and I'd supply Ukraine with all the assistance and aid and military help that we can. If uh, if he does push into Kiev and he takes the capital, which it seems like it might be a military inevitability, and Putin does not seem uh, ready to give up, you know, his, he's, he's staked his entire career and legacy yeah. on this fight. So if they take Kiev, if they take the country, what does that mean for Western democracy? I mean, wh- what do the next 10 years look like? Are we in a new Cold War? Yeah, the next 10 years, Miles, specifically to me, look like I, I don't think Russia can ever take control of that country. So if he takes Kiev and he props up some sham government, uh, the insurgency war begins and the Ukrainian people will fight. Russia's in there, Afghanistan on steroids. Russia will be in there for 10, 20, 30 years, and then eventually they'll leave. Uh, but I do believe uh, if he takes Kiev, I do believe that, man, I'll tell you, Poland's right there and other NATO countries are right there. I think you will see our involvement ratchet up. Yeah. I, now, I want to bring it back home a little bit because, you know, the debate over Ukraine, which should have been something to unify all Americans across the spectrum, that, of course, we stand against Russia. Of course, we stand with a free people that are trying to prevent the seizure of their country from a Russian dictator. But but that turns out not to be the case. Right? We have a, a, a disgraced, yep. twice impeached ex-president Donald Trump who you know, despite backpedaling, has continued to signal his love and affection for, for Putin. And a number of, member of con- members of Congress in the party have done the same. You have been unsparing in your criticism of these people. But in particular, I want to note something that happened the other day. Former Vice President Pence came out and tried to sound very, very tough on Ukraine and criticized Donald Trump, but not in name. He just hinted that anyone that would, you know, support Putin is on the wrong side of history. But of course, he didn't name Trump. And, and you called him out big time for that. Tell me about it. Miles, it's, it's fucking bullshit. If you criticize Trump, if you're a Republican and, and now you're trying to poke your head up from under the covers where it's been for the last four or five years and you put your finger up in the air and you're you, you're. <laughs> You know, throw a mild criticism at Trump or or disagree with him, and you don't have the fucking balls to to call him out by name. I'm sorry, that's nice to go. Who are still under the covers, but it doesn't count. And I like my court Putin. Where the hell he Pence didn't say anything after the Helsinki summit. I just, Miles, I'd love your thought. I know we, we have to have off ramps for all of these Republicans who eventually want to get out of, you know, their abeyance to Trump. But I just, to me, it's almost too late. Yeah, I'll give you my opinion. But first, um, I want to take one question from a caller uh, from Matteo. And I'm going to turn the mic over to Matteo if he's got a question. Caller. Hey, Joe, I'm very familiar with uh, with uh, 
your uh, you as a personality in the past few years. Uh, I've agreed with some of the things you've, you've said, uh, disagreed with others. Here's the general. Um, I'm a uh, I'm pretty much a lifetime liberal that, you know, was allies with a lot of uh, never Trumpers from a conservative background to uh, to get rid of Trump. And I actually found I had a lot of commonality with those folks. And, you know, that that engagement actually kind of reminded me of a lot of my values in terms of what I really believe are more traditionally conservative values, putatively, at least. Here's the question I want to ask you, though, uh, the I think it's really easy to repudiate the parts of the Republican agenda that went off the rails in the past 10 years. I don't think anybody wants to defend like Paul Ryan or Mitch from either side. Um, but what I never hear from the never Trump crowd is an acknowledgement of the corruption of like the Acosta Epstein deal in 2007. And not just that, but how comprehensively corrupt in the worst way that entire uh, W administration DOJ was in terms of their relationship with Kirkland Ellis in terms of who Kavanaugh really is behind the scenes. And, uh, you know, they successfully put the story back in the 80s. But there's no rec- there's recognition of kind of how unconservative the uh, the good times Paul Ryan politics were and how, un- you know, how just unconservative in general, how unserious and unconservative they were. But there's not a recognition of the deep corruption uh, that kind of went on in that legal world, which really kind of gave us the whole Bill Barr shenanigans, which gave us, you know, so many just kind of uh, disastrous things. And we're really part of the continuum of corruption going back through things, through entities like Kirkland Ellis to old Iran-Contra days, right? Iran-Contra around the margins very much was an Epstein story because it very much was a Maxwell story. So there's this whole kind of corrupt world that I feel like was not was not really confronted as never Trumpers like yourself confronted Trump. Mateo, thank you. This, this is an interesting question, Joe. I, I, I would love to... Uh get your answer on this the the pre-donald trump days um where were conservatives Do, you know were those golden days or as mateo suggests uh maybe not so golden hey no miles and mateo i don't I, I don't think they're they were golden days look i've i've been very public i was a tea party congressman i went there with the tea party wave in 2010 and mateo I spent a good chunk of my time in Congress going after Republicans more than I went after Democrats. I helped kind of seed the ground for Trump because I inflamed a lot of the base. But the Republican establishment, Miles, was asleep at the switch for years and ignored the base and ignored their fears and their concerns. And that just, I mean, that perfectly led to to the demagogue coming along in 2016 and saying, I hear you, I think a lot led to Trump. I think a lot of corruption. But generally, I think what led to Trump was a party establishment that ignored the base and Tea Party people like me that flamed them up. And a very uh, naked admission, Joe, and you've been out there and been very, very honest and candid about how you feel like you and others may have contributed uh, to the rise of Trumpism. Um, I want to ask, you know, you were a Republican. You're not a Republican anymore. I, as you know, am hanging on by the skin of my teeth, uh, (laughs) naively hoping that the pendulum swings back. Do you ever see yourself being a member of the Republican Party again? Or have you put that uh, idea six feet underground and piled the dirt on top of it? And Miles, I respect the hell out of you. I really, really do. And I respect the hell out of 
uh, Barbara Comstock and others who, as you say, are hanging on by your teeth to try to shake and wake this party up. I'm older than you, man. You're a young man. I'm older than you. <laughs> hey, it's, I, it's radio. They can't tell how old we are. You, you sound like a like a strong eighteen year old man. Oh, I'm an old <laughs> fart. Um, I and I left the party two years ago. Uh, I I do not see the party changing enough in my lifetime to ever welcome someone like me back. I really fear, Miles, that. What it has become now, what's kind of out of the closet, it's an authoritarian, embracing, cruel, mean cult. I think I think this is going to last for years. So I don't see myself probably ever going back. Well, then another question. You may not go back to the Republican Party, but is there a scenario, Joe Walsh, where you would ever run for president again? Yes. Uh, under what banner? I don't know. Uh, I do believe, Miles, that one of these next cycles or two, you're going to see a real viable independent candidate for president. Uh, I'm not independently wealthy, so I'd have to have a hell of a lot of money behind me. But I just I, I don't know. Look, don't look at me, brother. <laughs> don't, don't look at me. <laughs> I would. Uh, I, I'll never lie, Miles. There's a part of me that would love to do it again. I know I can't do it as a Republican. There's a part of me that would love to go back to Congress again. I just I, I kind of don't have a banner right now. That's that, that's the operative word. And I want to get into that in a second, because you said we're going to see a third party candidate running under another banner. You may want another banner to run under. But yeah. before we talk about that and how we get there and whether that's a possibility, the Republican Party heading into the presidential election in 2024, is it still Trump's party? And will it be Trump's party in that election? Uh, I'll watch my language, Miles. It's no fucking contest. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, if Trump wants to run, if he's in a position to run and he wants to run, the nomination is his and nobody of any substance will challenge him. He will walk to the nomination. Uh, and, and by the way, I think you and I have talked about this. I think the odds are the Republicans are going to take back the House in 22. There's a decent chance they might take back the Senate. Donald Trump is that's going to be a victory lap for Trump. And I think that will sadly boost his standing in the party. So it's his and every Democrat listening to us, uh, Miles, I'd warn if Donald Trump's the Republican nominee in 24, he's easily got a 50 50 chance of getting elected again. You know, the the midterm elections are not just signaling for us as Americans about what direction the democracy might be headed. As you know, Trump is watching very, very closely. He is obsessed about these midterms and whether or not they show that he still has you know, yeah. the Darth Vader chokehold on the Republican Party, so much so that the other day uh, after uh, Texas primaries, you know, he put out this self-laudatory statement that, you know, all of his candidates ended up uh, prevailing. I think he said, you know, 33 of 33, you know, ended yeah. up prevailing. <laughs> and it shows why his endorsement is so powerful. Uh, do you think that after the midterms, if the Republicans take back the House and Senate and, and Donald Trump has some some wins in terms of the crazies he wants to get elected, uh, do you think he's going to announce 
that he's running for re-election right after the midterms? I mean, I, I don't see how he can even contain himself right now from announcing it. But but is that what probably happens? Agree. I, I do, Miles. Uh, I know people like I know you know people who have told me privately he's dying to come out right now. They've convinced him to wait until after the midterms. And you and I know that after the midterms, he'll lie and he'll claim credit for everything. And again, I think then that's going to give him a huge platform uh, that will just strengthen him and he would cruise to a nomination if he wants it. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about if that happens. We've got the nightmare scenario. It's 2024. Donald Trump gets the GOP nomination. He's coming back. Let's say the Democrats, let's say Joe Biden doesn't run for reelection and that the Democratic Party is struggling to find someone who can beat Trump. And, and right now, that's a concern. You know, yeah. there's polls that have come out that show, you know, if Trump ran today again, that he would win, which which is baffling to people. But it's a real threat. So let's say you've got a Democratic Party that can't field someone competitive. Trump is on the glide path to a second term, despite indictments, despite whatever might happen. Um, what happens next, Joe? Is it, uh, is it a third party? Is it an independent candidate standing up? And how does that banner get created for this new way? So you, uh, and I mean this genuinely, I think you're a much smarter kind of market numbers guy than I am. I think, Miles, that if Trump is the nominee in 24, no matter who the Democrats put up, I think it's got to be a replay of 20. And all of us principled independents, former Republicans, conservatives, we all have to ally with Democrats like we did in 20 to support the Democratic candidate, period. Unless, Miles, you or anybody could make a case that, in no, in fact, it's the independent candidate who could win. I think as long as Trump is the threat, we can never let him in the White House again. So I believe we'll probably all have to support the Democratic candidate again. That will be the last time we'll have to do that. And then beyond 24, I think that's when this notion of a third party just takes off. Well, and let's dig into the details of it, because the numbers are really, really fascinating on this subject. As you and I have talked about before, you know, last year was the first time in modern history that one half of the country said they were neither Democrat or Republican, that they were political yeah. independents. 50 percent of Americans, the number's never been that high, and only 25% of Americans said they were a Democrat and 25% said they were Republicans. Those are low watermarks for both parties. I mean, what this tells me is there's massive consumer demand yeah. for an alternative. If this was any other marketplace, if this was like, you know, voting on the restaurants in town and 50% of citizens said there's not a single place I would go out to eat, well, that would be a clear signal that it's time to go open a restaurant and deliver the consumers what they want. I mean, people yep. are pissed right now in the American political system. They're frustrated. They want something new. Do you think that number is high enough to say, yeah, a third party could be successful? Uh, absolutely, my friend. And, and again, that's why we're in a weird spot right now, because without Trump, I, I think that third party, 
that market there would would bubble up right now and money would be put in right now and the notion of a third viable major political party would be in place within the next two or four years but we have a mission right now and that's we can never let this guy back in the white house but i do believe as you say market uh, uh miles that's where the market is and all look republicans and democrats over years have have uh screwed with this whole structure to make it really hard for a new player to come in. The only thing that can overcome that is a hell of a lot of money. And I think there is a lot of money, center right and center left, on the sidelines right now, ready to jump in and just meet that market demand. I, I want to ask you an irreverent question, because like me, you can very easily shift from the absolute serious to the completely silly. <laughs> uh, so what's the animal of this new third party? What's the mascot? <laughs> such a, you're such a jerk, because that's such a damn good question. That's No, I mean it. That's a really good question. Uh, I've got two answers, but I want to know what yours is first. Okay, well, it, in my mind, the party is, as I've said often, it's a radically centrist, common sense, get shit done party. What kind of animal reflects that? A lion, a bear, a, uh, a dog, a lab? I don't know. What do you got? <laughs> you piss me off. What do you, you have? You've thought about this. I'm, I'm totally going to hold you to that. When, when you launch this third party that, that totally disrupts American politics, and smarter marketing people, you know, give you a great mascot. I'm going to go out and say, you know, he wanted it to be a black lab. He was. <laughs> what do you good. think? All what right. are your animals? I'll, I'll tell you what the, the badass answer is and then the one I personally like. The badass answer is there's no other animal for this third party than the bald eagle. Because you're saying, oh, good. look, we're not a donkey. We're not an elephant. No, no. We're Americans. And our symbol is the bald eagle. Boom. Period. That right. That's that mascot. If it's rock paper scissors between the Democrats, the Republicans, that's good. And the third party, bald eagle always beats the the ass and the elephant. All right. Yep. That's the obvious one. The one I like is the bison, and I'll tell you why. I know it sounds oh. a little bit silly. I like the bison symbolically because this is an animal that was almost extinct, sort of like ah. how moderates are in our political system. It seems like they're almost extinct. And then because we deliberately were like, we got to turn this around, it came roaring back. And by the way, bison, if you don't know this, they don't run away from storms. They run into storms because it allows them to get through the storm more quickly. Unlike cows that run away from storms and then they end up in the storm longer. I think that's pretty cool is to say the radically centrist party has a, has a mascot that runs into the storm instead of away from the storm. What do you think about that? Miles, I fucking love it. I'm sold. I'm serious. I love that. Bison is, no offense, Bald Eagle, Bison is brilliant. I love it. That's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. No, I'm there. I would push that your approval forever. I want to bring a... Oh, Miles, that, no, 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 no. Even, yeah, I love it. I'm going to bring, uh, let's see, I'm going to bring Melissa here into the discussion. Uh, Melissa, we have a question from you. Dive in. And you may be on mute. All right. I think I'm good now. So you guys can hear me all right? 
catch you loud <laughs> and clear. All right, good, good. First, I got to give a shout out to Joe Walsh because he went from my one of the my least favorite people on Twitter about six years ago <laughs> to one of my favorites now. So kudos to you, Joe. <laughs> um, I, Thank I you. Just have a, I just have a, a question regarding a third party, and this is this is the thing that I I worry about. So. Just to give an example, in 2016, I was 100% ready to write in Evan McMullen. I, I mean, I, I did so I did so much for Evan McMullen. And then the day I watched the polling the day, I'm in Pennsylvania, swing state. And so the day came to vote and I got cold feet last minute and I voted for Hillary Clinton, something I thought, you know, as a, as a Republican for 25 years, I, I never thought would happen. That was because of Trump. And of course, I voted for Biden in 2020. Easy. Here's... Here's my concern. Joe, you said you see this sort of takeover of the Republican Party, you know, as a 10 year, 20 or 30 year thing, potentially. Right. So. All right. What if there's no Trump? But what happens if it's a if it's a Gates or a, a Marjorie Taylor? I mean, if this is going to be a long term thing, how does a third party ever get a foothold? Because everybody's going to think, well, I, I have to vote for the Democrat. I have no choice. Hey, Melissa, that's a great question. That's a really good question. Um, And I'm going to answer it like this. I think Donald Trump is an existential threat to this country. He's a unique cat. We've never had it before. So in 2024, if he's the guy, Melissa, again, we all got to line up behind whoever the Democrat is. Because in 24, that'll be the only candidate that can win. But then Trump's gone. He's not running again after 24 if he's not reelected. And then you're looking at DeSantis or you're looking at somebody pretty Trumpy because Trumpism dominates. I, I, though, I can speak for me um, after Trump is no longer a factor or a candidate, then then screw it. I, I think we got to then take the hard step of building the new centrist party, because I really do believe, Melissa, over the next 10 to 20 to 30 years, the Republican Party is going to keep shrinking. It's a bunch of old white men and old white women, and they die. And, and that's, that's, so that party's going to shrink. I think we have to take the leap and begin it right after Trump's out of the picture. Well put. Really well put, Joe. Um, it, I, I want to, in a similar vein, ask you, though, about this notion of the spoiler. It's so hard to talk about third-party candidates without the immediate reaction being you know, hey, they're, they're going to spoil every race. A third party candidate cannot win. Um, but I would point to something that Melissa just noted. Evan McMullen, who, of yep. course, had run for president against Trump in 2016, who is now running for the United States Senate in Utah against Mike Lee. Now, Evan's a lifelong Republican that left the party. Yep. Uh, and he's running in a state where Democrats statistically have no hope in hell yeah. Beating a radical Republican like Mike Lee, who supported the insurrection, who made excuses for Trump. But Evan running as an independent to the center right has got a real shot. He's basically a third party candidate without a party uh, and he's got a real shot. So not only is he not a spoiler, he's like the, the best hope to take this guy out. Do you think that that play can be run in more places? And in fact, I'm surprised it hasn't been run in more places. I uh, and, and Evan, you've been a I mean, Miles, you've been a big cheerleader of this. And it makes sense is as as a as a temporary play, uh, 
field a bunch of candidates as independents, you're right, like Evan McMullen, where they're not spoilers. I, I had hoped that we might have had a handful of those in 22. I, I think, and I've heard you say this, Miles, it's, it's our menu is all of the above. I think we've got to build this new party. I think it's going to come no matter what. I, I appreciate the efforts to try to reform the Republican Party. But you've said and others have said we also have to support candidates who want to run as independents. I thought we'd get more this time. But everybody listening to us, guys, I mean, again, I, I knew Mike Lee. Great guy. I used to love him. Mike Lee stopped defending the country. He decided to defend Trump. Evan McMullen has a real shot to win in Utah. He's not a spoiler. Well, and we're going to be watching and, and cheering that on. I think it's going to be an exciting year to prove this concept about whether we can go run people in the independent lane and yeah. in the third lane and disrupt the system. And, and you know, the uh, the signs seem to be good. I want to, I want to shift uh, again for now downshifting from silly earlier back to serious. Um, Joe, you've been you broke from the Republican Party, but it's not been easy to do that. It's not been easy for anyone to speak up in this environment. You've had threats. You've you know had people canceling you. I mean, it's it, the whole range of bad things that can happen uh, happened. First, just tell us about that. I mean, how are you doing? What's it like to be a, a modern Republican, ex-Republican dissident? One. And two, what do we do to get the discord out of our public discourse? Um, it, it probably feels I probably feel miles like you feel because you've walked the same road. I uh, I lost everything. What, and, and every now and then, Miles, I think about what the last four or five years have done to me. I lost any chance to have any future in the Republican Party. Um, I lost my career. I lost my livelihood. Uh, I, I was on 200 radio stations around the country, and that's all gone. Um, I get threats every day. You know, like so many others know, when you publicly take that step to oppose Trump, you literally put your life on the line. You, you, I've lost supporters. I've lost friends. I've lost family. All the rest. Um, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat because, as you've said and others have said, country first. Um, you're the second, and but Miles, it's been really, really difficult. I don't, I don't talk about it enough. I should talk about it more. This, your second question is really important in that we're in this funny area. I mean, I'm trying to do my best to, um, heal the divides in our country and lower the temperature. And I'm doing that as someone who played a huge role the last 12 years in helping to divide the country. Uh, we do need to do that because the country is dangerously divided. But I'm trying to balance that with the fact that we have one of our two major political parties that is anti our democracy. And I have no interest in lowering my temperature when I go after people like Trump and Ron DeSantis and Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson. So it, it's, it's kind of a it's a tough game to play. I've got a podcast where I bring on people every week who don't think like me. But, man, when I get Trumpers on or when I talk to these mega heads, I just want to light into them. It's a hard balance. Yeah. How, how, have you had trouble 
Joe, getting any of those people that vehemently disagree with you to come on the show or, or usually are they intrigued by the, uh, by the prospect? So I've only had the only group of people that I've had a hard time getting on my show is in fact my former base, the mega right. Um, uh, guys like Ted Cruz, even, uh, you know, media guy, conservative media guys who, who I used to be very close to. That's the hardest kind of a person I'm having getting on the show. And I think, Miles, a big part of it is, you know, a lot of those people don't believe the shit they spew and they don't want to have to say that. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's it's funny because these are the folks, the same folks that accuse, you know, more center centrist like us of being snowflakes. Yeah, <laughs> they'll never come over and debate us. I, I would go on Fox News or conservative radio any day of the week. And and I'm sure like you, they've iced me out completely. They will they're They are never, ever, ever going to have me go into that environment. They're too scared. They're too scared because it's so easy to show that they've built a house of cards with their lies that they won't do it. But on the other hand, like you, I'm always trying to get those folks to come yeah. debate and come over to the other side. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely the snowflakes. Well, uh, well, Joe, he, I've got a final question for you, a super serious final question. And that is, <laughs> I, I want an embarrassing admission from you. I want you to open your phone without canceling this podcast and tell me what, what's the last song you were listening to. Oh, my God. You know what I've been into? Miles is is REM revisiting old REM. The, I'm obsessed. The last uh, like few weeks, the last song I listened to this morning was "Night Swimming" by REM. Oh hell yeah! I just can't get enough of REM. Just love. Oh, that's a good one. That's not even embarrassing at all. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and because I asked it, I have to say it. As I was asking you the question, I opened it up. The last song I played was Deja Vu by Olivia Rodrigo. That gal oh my God. been tearing it up on the radio. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That thing is a jam. So anyway, <laughs> not not an official endorsement from me, but uh, all right. Fantastic. Well, you, you've got me on an REM kick today then, Joe. Um, well, hey, can look, I say one serious thing to you? Please. Um, I effing love what you do. I love the way you fight. Uh, keep it up, man. Miles, you're doing great, great work. I mean that. Well, Joe, I think I speak for a lot of folks that are listening and, and we'll be listening to the playback of this that uh, we just admire you for standing up for truth, brother. So thank you so much for being Thanks, in the fight and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. And for those of you who enjoyed hearing Joe, there's going to be more where that came from next week. We've got some interesting guests coming up. So thank you, everyone, for joining today and we'll talk soon.